0: Hi everyone, it's Damon Klotz, host of the Culture First podcast. Before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to take a chance to say thank you to everyone who joined us at our Culture First global events this year. Over 20,000 people from nearly every part of the world joined us at our three events. Now, if you weren't one of those people, then please do not worry. I have some great news for you. All of the sessions from the three events are now available for you to watch, re-watch, or share with others. Maybe you want to sit down and listen to the keynotes from people like Professor Ibram X Kendi, Priya Parker, Adam Grant, or maybe Rachel Botsman. Or potentially, you want to learn from companies. We have people like Canva, McLaren, and the Major League Baseball all share how they put culture first head to cultureamp.com slash community where you can find the link to watch all of the sessions from the three events. All right, let's get started.
1: It's not just like sitting on a board of directors. You serve and you are Mm -hmm. active and you've got a lot of work to do. And, you know, honestly, I feel like I hit the jackpot. Uh, This, I can't imagine a better fit for me. Culture first.
0: Culture Uh 1st
1: Culture first.
0: Culture first.
1: Culture first. Culture first. Culture
0: first. Culture 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 first. first. Culture first. I'm Damon Klotz, and this is Culture First. Hello, and welcome back to the Culture First podcast. I'm your host, Damon Klotz there's a few really exciting announcements that I want to share with everyone listening today. The first announcement is that this episode is the first in the latest batch of episodes that we've been working on. We will be publishing two new episodes each month until the end of the year. You'll be hearing from a mixture of practitioners, thought leaders, and authors about how they think about the topic of culture first and increasing humanity at work. If you haven't already, now is a great time to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues and peers. At the start of this episode, I mentioned that we have a couple of exciting announcements that I wanted to share with you, and here is the second one. This episode is not just an episode with Anna Bender from Asana, it's also an episode with CultureAmp's newest board member. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome both Anna to the podcast today, as well as to our board of directors. Anna Bender is Asana's Head of People Operations, a role that she has held since May of 2016. During her time at Asana, both Inc. Magazine and Fortune have named Asana as a Best Workplace to Work for four years in a row now, and the company has been named a Best Place to Work in 2021 by Glassdoor. Prior to joining Asana, Anna was MuleSoft's VP of People. Alright, so let's dive straight into my conversation with Anna Binder as we learn about how she scaled employee experience at Asana, as well as celebrate her announcement to Coltramp's Board of Directors. Today on the Culture First podcast, I'm joined by Anna Bender of Asana. Anna, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Dan, it's great to be here.
0: So to start, I always like to learn a little bit more about the person, even though I know a little bit about you. We've met a few times, but I think maybe it'd be good for our audience to have the same context. So if I really knew you, what would I know?
1: Uh, Well, if you really knew me, you'd know I have an amazing 13-year-old daughter who teaches me a lot of stuff every day. You'd know that I love my job out loud. You'd know that um, I'm originally from Austria. My mom's actually from Germany. My father's from Austria. I have family all over the world. And, uh, I'm an aspiring cyclist. Uh, I'd like to get a little bit better each time, but mostly I'm just out there enjoying the nature and enjoying the exercise.
0: I think, uh, doing things for enjoyment is a great way to get really good at them as well. So I think you, you've you've got a good strategy there. So the next one that I want to ask is, uh, a little bit more, I guess, corporate focused, but Mm I will frame it with the lens of, Something we have in common is that we're both trained in the Conscious Leadership Framework, which I think is really exciting. Um, sure. I've been through through that training. I know uh, everyone at Asana goes through it.
1: Correct. Correct.
0: Which is amazing. So uh, one of the terms in Conscious Leadership is this idea of a zone of genius. So yep. how do you describe your zone of genius?
1: Oh, that brings up all sorts of imposter syndrome, doesn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. It's such big words. Genius. Uh, I, you know, I always try to think about my professional life, my personal life. One thing that's true across both is that I'm the chief enthusiasm officer. You know, whether, the, whether it's a new idea or a, a problem or a down day, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not a glass half full person. I'm a glass water runneth over person. So I'm really <laughs> able to, um, and I, I think part of that is keeping the bigger picture in context and in mind, but part of it is also just like the way that I like to live my life and um, bringing enthusiasm even to the hard moments.
0: I love that, and I think more than ever we need optimists and we need uh, people with, with enthusiasm uh, because yeah. you know we've all been working through some challenging times. So, my zone of genius—the way I just sort of describe it—is I like uh, seeing huge amounts of different connection points or, or data, and then finding how they can all kind of fit together turning them into a story that nearly anyone can resonate with, understand, and gets excited about. So I'm hoping uh, to do some of that with the podcast today with a a bunch of the different themes that we're going to speak about. But before we get to our big announcement, before we get to some of the exciting things we're going to be speaking about, my final question is, imagine this, a masked-up, curious 10-year-old wanders up to you on the streets of San Francisco, (laughs) right, so uh, with six feet of distance, and they say to you, obviously. And they say to you, excuse me, Anna, and I don't know how they know your name. Maybe you're wearing a name badge. They say, excuse me, Anna, what do you do for work? How do you, how do you answer?
1: Damon, that is a hard question. Um, what do I do for work? Uh, maybe I choose from one of the following. I, I help other people achieve their own mission both by working at Asana, because that's the, the mission of Asana, but also um, on a very deeply personal level, right? Like I think of part of my work as uh, the head of people at Asana is to to make sure that people are have the space to do their best work and show up as their best selves and move things forward in support of our mission. So I those are a lot of words for a 10-year-old. So um, again, like help others be their best.
0: Yeah, which I think a a 10-year-old, I, I picked that answer, I picked that age for a specific reason because I uh, my youngest brother is significantly younger than me. He's only mm-hmm. just turned um, 18. And when he was around that age, he used to ask the most fascinating questions and, like, why and, like, well, how does this work and, like, what do you do? So I always think it's just an interesting age and just trying to get it down to, like, oh, yeah, right. like, I want to help people do great work and whatever that, that, that means. Um, and. I think the other way that I've heard you describe what you do is that you happen to be a business professional who focuses on the people function. Why is that an important distinction?
1: Uh, so that's, what, uh, I mean, I could talk about this question for an hour, but let me say, I, uh, at the core, I really believe that the investments that you make in culture, in designing it and building it, in iterating on it, improving it, on squashing the bugs, all of that can help you move your business forward. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there's kind of like three categories of CEOs and, or founders. And they, you know, some think, hey, I'll focus on all that culture stuff once I get products market fit or once I hit my revenue numbers or, you know, like that's, I'll, I'll do that later. And then there's um, another set that'll say, you know what, I'm not, it's not a one two punch. We can do both. We can put some energy into the business and we can put some energy into the the culture. But what I really believe and what makes Asana such a great place for me is that the hour of time you invest in your culture and connecting people to your values and your mission that it's exactly that hour that's going to allow you to get products market fit going to allow you to um, reach more customers to solve the big hairy problem uh you know whether it is on the product side or the accounting side so it's a a false trade-off to think that it is one or the other and so when I think about my work, I'll focus on people and culture. I'm not here because I want to win an award for culture. I, I'm here and I focus on this because I bl- like, deeply believe that it's this energy that is going to allow us to be successful. So, um, you know, people often, it doesn't happen as much anymore, but people used to say, you're an HR person, what are you doing going to business school? you know, my answer to that is every HR person should have business fundamentals. That's what we're doing here. We're, we're, we're helping run businesses.
0: I couldn't agree more, which is a great segue into our next uh, little section, which is a big announcement, uh, which is one of the things that businesses need is a board of directors. So uh, I might let you make the announcement. Would you like to make the announcement? Sure.
1: I'm thrilled to share that I am joining the board of directors of Culture Amp, a company that I believe in, that I value, that I'm connected with. And, um, I'm, I'm thrilled and honored to be part of the journey.
0: Let's go back to the start, because probably when you had that first interaction with Culture Amp, you probably never thought, oh, maybe I'll be on the board one day. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you did. Uh, who knows? But uh, what was that first moment of interacting with Culture Amp, either as a product or a company?
1: There's a couple different memory touch points that I have when I think back on it. The first was really as a, um, a user. So not as a chief people officer, but just like in there as a human who cared about what was going on in the company. And uh, we were making a transition from a product I will not name, but another product that was focused, I had, all had similar offerings. And as we were making the shift to Culture Amp. There's a few things that struck me, and the the main thing was that I felt like that the product was designed to help me use it, Mm -hmm. Uh, which sounds so simple, right? Like, that's what products should be designed for. Mm -hmm. But a lot of products in the HR space, I feel like they – like. The people who are building it must hate HR people because they're so hard to use and they they make right. me feel like a second class citizen and they make me feel like, oh, that's not an area I need to invest in. But making that shift to culture amp and, and not needing, you know, a thick manual and just having to be able to get to the information I need to do my job and in, in a very intuitive, in, um, uh, intelligent way. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of times when you're looking at the data and culture app, it's very uncomfortable to look at. Like it's a, you know, nobody looks at the good stuff. You always look at the bad stuff that you need <laughs> to improve on, which is inco- yeah. uncomfortable. And to be able to have a product that really at its core is designed to like delight me, that is, made me feel seen Uh, and it made it made me feel like a user that I was valued at the core and everything that I believed in was believed in by the people who created that product and then the second memory that I have is uh probably when when you and I first met at uh one of the amazing gatherings that culture puts together culture first conference and I uh it just, it didn't feel like a sales conference. It didn't feel like a user conference. It felt like I was in a room filled with hundreds of people who believed what I believe, which is mm. that this investment in culture is exactly what's going to drive your business forward.
0: I couldn't have asked for two better examples because they speak to me really personally. One, because I've been heavily involved in our community and culture first event programming for a long time. And as an XHR practitioner, I wanted to create the community and the event experiences uh, that I wished existed when I was a practitioner because I was looking yeah. for inspiration. I wanted to be in those rooms and I, I couldn't find them in Australia when I was starting out in my career. So that really speaks to me. And then um, the first one that you shared speaks to me because it's similar to a lot of stories that I've heard that like culture members help, has really helped people be seen inside of their organisations, but it's helped them get promotions, it's helped them increase their budget, it's helped them increase their team. Someone's even mentioned before that, uh, working with Coltrane has always like has felt like an extra member of their team,
1: which mm, has always been
0: mind blowing. Like that. to create, yeah, yeah, like to create value of like an FTE inside yeah. of a company is kind of mind blowing. So thank you for sharing those That's memories. Great. If they were some of your early memories, let's fast forward. Can you recall the moment when Didier reached out to you to make the ask?
1: Well, you know, you you make it sound like it was like you know, like this moment. It, it really wasn't <laughs> like that at all. He and I got connected and it was a very natural, you know, when, he, when I saw his email, his name in my inbox, I was like, Oh, this is one of my people, you know, and quickly prioritized the conversation. Cause I knew that we would have so much to talk about and that we would both really um, enjoy it. We got on the phone quite quickly and we were talking about all of it, right? Like company building at this level of scale. How do you pri? What do you prioritize in a, um, a search for a head of people, what might you need at different phases of the company? You know, and he, like like me and many of us are always looking to learn from other people who are like one, like one year, two years ahead so that we can maybe mm-hmm. avoid some of those same mistakes. And of course we were able to connect you know, I have Culture Amp as a tab open on my browser all the time, so I grabbed the opportunity to you know ask some questions and make some friendly recommendations and requests on what I wanted to see. Um, so it was just a it was a very fluid um, enthusiastic conversation. And then at the end of the conversation, we were wrapping up and we were way over and we both sort of wanted to to close by saying, Hey, we like, is there any way we could continue this, continue the conversation, continue the, the collaboration, continue working together and, and the board opportunity and the need that he's and culture specifically had on the board for someone of my profile. It was, it was just perfect kismet timing.
0: And what does it mean to you personally to join a board? I know for as many people, like um, in their career, is maybe something that they aspire to. Uh, so, what does it mean for you personally?
1: Yeah, it's really important. So, I'll give you sort of the three. The three natural answers and that that are very um, powerful and come from inside me, and then I'll give you a personal reason. The first, first of all, Culture Amp is one of very, very few, if not the only, product that I am not only the buyer for, right? Like I sign the check, I sign the PO as the chief people officer for my company, but I'm also an, um, a power user Right, like that. That Venn diagram is pretty unique, right? Right. Um, and so I feel like I'm uniquely suited to add some value there. The second thing is just. The values alignment. There's there's so many similarities between the way that we think about things at Asana and the way that Culture Amp thinks about things. Um, the you know the mission orientation, the um, connecting people to the mission, the doing the right thing, the fundamentals of conscious leadership. You know, like all of those things. So it felt like um, you know a second home almost, or maybe we'll call it a third home. Um, and then the third thing is the piece that I talked about, right? Like, um, Asana has been on a journey very similar to, uh, what Culture Amp is going through. And it's like the opposite of wasteful. It's good leverage to be able to, you know, um, let, let me share some of the things that I did wrong and that we did wrong so that somebody else cannot do them. That, that might be a negative way. So also share the things that we did right. Yeah. And then just on a, a personal note, Five, almost six years in at Asana. I'm planning on many, many more years there. Like I said earlier, I love it out loud. Um, But it's a big job. It's like a big operating role, and so there was really only an opportunity to and and um, serving on a board of directors is also a lot of work, right? It's not just like sitting on a board of directors. You serve and you are Mm -hmm. active, and you've got a lot of work to do. So there was only room for one, and. You know, honestly, I feel like I hit the jackpot. Uh, This, I can't imagine a better fit for me. And then the, the, I know I said that was the last thing. I'll (laughs) say one more thing. Um, It's a new day as it relates to diversity on boards of directors and for many this is a really obvious thing right like we invested in this fairly early at Asana and Didier looked at it also early but for others it's not as uh, natural or obvious that diversifying your board of directors helps you with your business and will drive better business outcomes so um, I know from my own personal experience that other women who are serving on boards have uh, recommended me have been helpful to me and um, now I get the opportunity to do that uh, myself for others, and that's um, that's really important to me.
0: Yeah, I, I love that you sh- shared that. I know Didier speaks very openly about paying down the diversity, data yep. culture amp by starting with four, you know, straight white male founders. Um, yep. I think he even extends it and says straight white male brunette IT. <laughs> founders so uh (laughs) you know um and i joined Coltramp when we had 13 employees and i joined as a straight white male. so like i i understand that like um you know like we have to make those changes and also like what's really exciting is like you said you get to open doors for other women who want to be on boards and be able to open up that opportunity as well so Let's keep on that sort of board, public listed kind of company sure. train with the um, long-term stock exchange. I think it's something that it's really fascinating to to touch on. Um, I'm personally a really big believer in companies using their platforms, their resources and products to create a better world. I think we all have an opportunity to actually leverage whatever we have access to to create a better world, not just a better world of work. And I know that Asana was recently announced that it has been uh, going to join the long-term stock exchange. And for those... Who don't know what the long term stock exchange is? Um, it's a new exchange. It's a principles based listing, uh, with standards that require listed companies to detail and publish policies on their website that offer stakeholders insight into how the company actually builds its business for the long term. And why I wanted to touch on this, because I believe that this is very much in alignment to building a culture first company, really thinking about the legacy of a company and how you actually build a company. So. Can you share about why this is so important to Asana and why you were one of the first companies to join?
1: I love talking about this. And it's really, it's an important milestone for us. So why is very simple, right? Like um, the values, the purpose, the intention of Asana and everything that the long-term stock exchange is about are completely aligned and being able to list and, you know. We're also, uh, it's not the only place that we're listed, right? We're also listed on on NYSE. But listing on the long-term stock exchange allows us an opportunity to publicly commit to delivering on our long-term value. Right. And that's an opportunity to signal, right? It's a signal thing, obviously, to investors. um, And I hope all of you that are listening to this uh, right now are investors. Um, I'm working very hard to make your investment valuable. Um, But it, it allows us to signal to investors. But it also allows us to signal to customers, and to employees, and to alumni. You and I have chatted offline about language matters. Well, signals like this matter, and um, it's it's not one, it's like a hundred small things that send the message about who you are and what you're committed to. And My favorite story about the long-term stock exchange is um, going back to 2016 when I was interviewing with Dustin Moskovitz, the CEO of Asana. talked about the long-term stock exchange and at that point the LTSE was like a website right like it was (laughs) a website like coming coming soon and you know give us a decade or so and and dustin could speak with with conviction and clarity and um confidence that this was in our future that they we were going to do this and uh you know i i was I was, we were 100 people at the time, maybe 75, right? We had so many mountains to climb before that might be. Um, but that says something about Dustin, right? Like mm. he, he recognizes that some of the things that are most worth doing are really hard and take a long, long time. So um, and to lead an organization through with that um, with with that conviction is uh, well, it's attractive. Like those are the types of leaders that you want to follow. Uh, so it's uh, it's really an, a powerful moment for us.
0: Let's double click on that relationship with Dustin because I think it's one of the things that I think a lot of chief people officers would always love to have is a really strong relationship with their CEO. You know, a CEO who believes in culture first, a CEO who wants to. Invest in something like Ramp and see the data. So, um, obviously, when you were interviewing, it like it sounded like you got some of those really good signals early on about what he was going to be like as a CEO. But I wonder, how has your relationship changed over the last sort of six years?
1: Um, that's a great question. So, I'll tell um, a fun story from the first meeting with him. And then, hopefully, as I'm telling that, I'll remember some others <laughs> later <laughs> on down the line. I was actually on a proactive job search at the time. It was early 2016. I am a very criteria-based decision maker. Uh, I had a spreadsheet. I had, my, um, I had my criteria. I reached out to everyone that I knew. I shared with them my criteria and I asked them to introduce me to people to um, that, that they thought might be a good match for me. Mm-hmm. And really early on, uh, Matt Kohler, actually from our board, uh, who I knew from another life, introduced me to Dustin, and I had a a, a good conversation with him. A really, like grounded in like what are the like it's you know he said it's a nice concept that culture drives business, but give me some examples of like stuff that you would do to to actually move it forward. And we talked about things, you know, we talked about things like compensation and communications and systems like the HRIS and how all of that um, adds up. And I, I still remember that night he sent me an email and he was very um, he was very specific, you know, like nice rapper, enjoyed the conversation. But he said two things. He's like, hmm, you know, we disagreed on this one point. And um, I've thought about it some more. And I I think you might be right, because I I think X, Y, and Z. And so there were a couple paragraphs on that. And then he closed with, but there was this other thing that I really disagreed with, and I want to try to make my point. And he he already made it. And I I still remember, uh, I forwarded that email to my husband. And he came and sat, you know, he came and visited me across the hall in, in our house and kind of patted me on the head and said, you know, your spreadsheet is really cute, grasshopper but you're going to go work for that guy. That's that's mm-hmm. your guy. And I was like, mm, no, you know, I, I am a process. And he was totally right. He was totally right. In terms of how the relationship has evolved, I think it's, you know, the, the jobs that he, we are doing, and not just Dustin and I, but all of us that are at Asana that were there six years ago, those jobs have changed ten times over. And it's not just in terms of size and scale, um, but it you know the problems that we're solving and the 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 way that you communicate in a company of a hundred versus fifteen hundred, you know, on its way to many more. So the relationship and and the the job is a lot around being very open and embracing and seeking that change Mm. and what are you know what what's going on around the, the corner and what are the things that i used to be so attached to these things that i built that were so precious and so valuable that i now need to i need to be the one that stands up and tosses them out right um the last thing i'll just say about dustin is um you know i can get pretty he and i are very different people he's you know an introvert, Um, I'm not. Uh, I can get very animated, I can get very enthusiastic, I can get very, you know, convicted on principle. And he often asks me the question, well, like, it seems like you feel really strongly about this, Anna. How could the opposite of your story be true? Which is obviously, you know, a a tool as part of leading consciously. And it always stops me in my tracks. And it's um, a powerful question to like, the one-on-one can actually end right there. Because I'm like, okay, I need to go do that work. I'll make a list. And um, so that's powerful for me.
0: Part of you must be like, oh, like I love that you like understand this and use this, but like, oh, it's so frustrating. Why can't you just take my first answer? But then you're like, no, you get it. Cause like this is like this is what happens when you truly embed something inside of a company, is that like it's always there and it's a part of your operating system. Yeah. The other thing that I think is really useful for anyone who's listening or watching who is uh, job searching, which I know a lot of people, uh, there's a lot of jobs on the market right now, is uh, look for signals. There was three signals that I heard you talk about. One was the fact that he talked about the long-term stock exchange at the very start. So, it was something that you know he uh, believed in. Uh, The second one was conviction. So, he said that he's like, I strongly believe in this and I'm going to tell you why I believe in this. And the other one was willing to change his mind. So you said, actually, you might be wrong. Uh, sorry, you might be right. And I'm, yep. I'm willing to see how you're right. And they're yep. really important signals to look for when you're looking That's for a right. great leader to work with. So let's switch gears, talk about um, a different CEO. So I know that one of the reasons I know Didier, uh, the CEO of Culture Amp, and the rest of us here at Culture Amp are excited to have you join us is because, like you said, you're a f- few steps ahead of us at Asano mm-hmm. in terms of your headcount, your growth, your ARR, and I think we have a lot to learn from you as we continue on our path. Do you have any tips for anyone who's a people leader, or even a team lead, about sure. some of the things you've witnessed during that time through that tremendous growth and change?
1: Yeah. So, um, one of my favorite Asana values is rejecting false trade-offs. And I think it's been, it's it's very, it's, it's sometimes hard to grok, uh, but I think that there, once it comes alive for you, it's everywhere. Um, and one of the places that I think about it is in terms of career growth. One of the beautiful things about working for a company that's growing as fast as Asana or Culture Amp is, you know, that 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 growth and that success it rises all boats. It creates opportunities for everyone. Um, and a lot of times that means that individuals have either increased scope in their responsibilities or their, you know, different components are added, or maybe they build a team or whatever it is. Sometimes the, um, and, the and then that obviously, you know, that the company grows and you grow through it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the most effective and uh, fastest way to grow personally in your career is to get layered. Is to have for somebody to come in and uh, hire a manager or another layer above you, and that's really counterintuitive, right? Because um, your ego doesn't feel good because you feel like you got passed over. Um, you, um, you know, you had your eye on that. You feel like you're like there's all kinds of loss. You have lose access or visibility. But the truth is that sometimes having someone who has been there, done that, and done your job or the next job a few times at other companies that can come in and coach you and develop you in a more hands-on fashion than your previous more senior manager could can be a um, like a leapfrog in your career. So, um, and that's not always obvious to to folks. The, The the corollary, the second piece of that is because you asked specifically about team leads is I'm, yeah. um, I mean, we got this question all the time and sometimes still do at Asana of like, well, are we going to hire experts in from outside or are we going to, or do we like believe in our people and are we going to promote from within? And again, yeah. that is a false trade off because if I'm a team lead, I think that the best thing that I can do for, for the team, for the business, for the function, for the growth is to have a mix. Because um, we learn in different ways, right? Like we sometimes we learn on the job, sometimes we learn through coaching or mentoring, sometimes we learn through like traditional methodologies, like a, a class. Um, but a lot of times we learn by being side by side and in the room discussing a problem with somebody who's been there and done that before. So not only sometimes it's helpful to be layered. But also, um, if your boss is somebody who is kind of takes that half and half approach of like some from the outside and some promoting from within, I think that's a a powerful way to, to serve everyone.
0: Yeah, I think it's critical because you got to, you got to keep those earlier employees kind of happy and growing and developing and changing and like so that of they feel like they're still part of the story. But also you need fresh ideas and, and different types of talent and diversity of experience and thought and uh, background as well. And, um, the first one that you shared, like I highly encourage anyone to, um, really think about that and think about like, uh, cause it happened to me and, Uh, I had to check ego like early on in Coltramp 2000 and January of 2016, we're adding like our fourth member to the marketing team. And I just just assumed that like, you know, like I was here, I've been here. So like everyone else who comes after me is just below me. And that's how the, no, of course it doesn't work like that. And I didn't know that this person was going to be above me, and then it was only after they were like hired that I spoke to the found the founder who was working directly with on marketing, and I was like, oh, so like where would this person be? He's like, oh, well, you know, she'll be here and you'll be here, and I was like, oh, interesting, and I was like, okay, ego check, 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 and then honestly, it was it was the best thing that ever happened to my career at Culture Amp because she came in with a different set of skills. She came in with things that I really didn't enjoy doing, that she loved doing. We partnered side by side. And like, that's actually how the Culture First event series came to be is I got to focus on content and be the head of community and focus on the storytelling. And she got to focus on the experience design and the operations and running that. And I'm like, that, that event wouldn't exist if, if my ego got in the way or if I, like, you know, wanted to yeah. stomp, stomp my, like, you know, get all angry about it. Not that I get angry at work, but, like, you know, like, that's what our inner story tells us to do sometimes.
1: A hundred percent. You know, there's um, – this question is so big in terms of, like, what we learned over scale. But I, I want to highlight one other thing, which is – You know, people don't always love this part of my opinion, but I actually think, like, if you think about, like, the different phases of a company, right, like, there is the true early startup phase right like can you get products market fit can which i think is so hard it's like getting a pig to fly right like it's very high risk um you know every you know every month there's a moment or five moments of like oh my gosh is this actually going to work or are we going to completely fail right like that's um that early high risk phase where and everyone's a part of every decision Then there are, there's the growth phases and, um, uh, there are many phases of this. If you're a baseball person, you might say there's nine innings. If you know, like whatever your sport of choice, (laughs) um, but it's, it's, it's a a long, it's a long section. And then the third is more, um, steady state, larger, um, bigger, less volatile, Mm. um, the ship, slower. it's harder to move slower. I actually believe that most people have a sweet spot that is one of those three, right? I think that there are some people that can span two of them. I've actually not met very many people like I think ever that can do all three. Maybe mm. Mark Zuckerberg, right? Like he went from uh dorm room to multi billion, but the, that number is pretty small. And I think it's important to know who you are and where you fit in there. And if it means that the company has gotten to a place where you are no longer happy or like it's not in your sweet spot, you know what, that, like that's okay. And um, yeah. the company is going to be successful because it's filled with employees who are deeply committed to the mission and the work and are enjoying it. And so I I also think like, as you go through that hyper growth, you're going to, the attrition, the rate may go up, but really the numbers are, the raw numbers are definitely going to go up because, you know, your denominator is larger. Um, And I I think it's painful to get okay with that. And I, I really try to, um, I'm a big fan of, goodbye parties and celebrating people's contributions and turning them into active alumni who then bring Asana or bring Culture Amp to their next employer. Because these are mm-hmm. um, extremely valuable knowledge worker tools that can continue.
0: I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things that really excites me as well as like, it's sad when I'm like, you know, I've been at CultureAmp six and a half years. Some of my closest friends have left the company over that time. And like, part of me is like, oh, I don't get a chance to work with you anymore. Uh, The other part of me is so excited that they get to bring like a culture first approach to a new organization and to a new team and to like share those things. And I love seeing them succeed um, in, in new places. So could not agree more. When it comes to employee experience, you know, obviously we've been talking about growing companies and scaling companies and the role of the people function within that. Rightly or wrongly the workplace can have a significant impact on who we are and one of the ways that that can play out is the impact of the workplace on our well-being and our mental health and I think obviously this was a topic that was important 2 years ago it's even more important considering the you know environment that we find ourselves operating in globally so when it comes to designing the employee experience at Asana how do you incorporate well-being and mental health into it
1: Yeah so this is a topic near and dear to my heart. And I'm so like, this is one of the silver linings of the pandemic, I think, is that it made it okay and actually required and like normal to be talking about mental health, whether it's in my, you know, my daughter's day school or at our at executive team meetings across the globe. So I'll just um, I'll mention four things that are um, the way that I think about it. And then when we talk about it at Asana. The first is the sort of like the, the work rest or the work, work play fractal. Um, and the idea here, this is a, I, what I think is a more modern version of the um, work-life balance, which, um, you know, I think is an impossible concept of like any given day that you want to feel this like beautiful balance between all these components in, of your life. I just, I don't believe in that. When I look back on a month or a year or in a decade, I want to make sure that that's happened. But on any given day, it's completely lopsided. Um, So Mm -hmm. I I love this more modern version, which essentially says when you're working, whether it's um, in a meeting on a podcast or like it for a whole day, like focus on your work, get like, get yourself into the flow, get yourself into that zone of being super productive and turning off, eliminating notifications and really like doing the thing. And when you're in rest or you're in play, be fully in rest and play. Mm. So, you know, I encourage people to take, the Asana app, or uh, off their phones on the weekend, and a hundred percent during their vacations, right? Like, stop it. Like, it, if it's truly like a life and death emergency, I'll find you. But come on, yeah. we're working on enterprise software. There's not going to be that level of an not emergency. No one's saving lives you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So really like encouraging people that there's no badge of honor to be like, sometimes I work on a Sunday afternoon, but like nobody needs a badge of honor to respond to my things on, it just happens to be at a convenient time for me to do it because I want to take all of Monday off to be with my child, whatever it is, but really that work play factor. So that's number one. Number two, and this is a very tactical small thing, check in with people and use the right language. Don't ask people at the beginning of a one-on-one, right, before you dive into the work or the, the goals or the working session, say, Damon, how are you feeling today? That is a very different question and it solicits a different response than, hey, how are you doing? It's very, very different. How are you feeling today? Mm -hmm. Right? Feeling is a different thing than doing. Today bounds it around like, you know, I'm not asking you to talk about your childhood. I'm asking like, I'm checking in with you like right now here. So that's number two. Like we really try to teach everyone to do that. Um, And then the third thing is, um, you know, I just personally believe that mental health is human health. And, you know, if you break your leg and you've got to... A ta- uh, cast on, right? Like that's going to inhibit your ability to move around. If you're struggling with mental health, that's going to inhibit your bil- ability to like navigate the world. And so there's two things around that, that I, I try to elevate. The first is we offer all of our employees supplemental mental health benefits through modern health, because the major carriers, which provide fantastic um, healthcare benefits across a whole bunch of other um, physical ailments, don't have great mental health offerings. So we, we offer a supplement there and we, we really promote it. And the usage is high and we, we make it a thing. And the last thing around it is that, you know, we do company AMAs, Ask Me Anythings, where the leadership team is available to ask questions. And we make sure that one of the questions that we ask every time is, how are you feeling? How are you feeling mm-hmm. today? And so, if we can model speaking openly about the challenges that we're ha- any one of us might be having, you know, it's a pandemic. So, there are like, you know, good days and bad moments, right? Um, Just being open and talking about that, I think helps.
0: Definitely. And there was something that you shared earlier about like an hour spent on focusing on your culture and how you work makes the rest of it easier. And that's how you get things done. I also my personal belief is that any hour spent on your mental health or any aspect of well being that's important to you makes the rest of your working hours or even just your living hours easier yep. and better. Um Correct. so I'm I love that you normalize that inside of Asana and that you have really specific frameworks and questions that people should be asking because uh as we'll speak about a little bit later, language matters. But you're joining Culture Amp as our board member, um, and obviously Culture Amp is a product. But you also think about culture as a product, which I think is really fascinating. I do. And yeah, I love that you think that way. I think one of the uh, the way my marketing HR brain kind of works from time to time is that we need to think about the products that we launch for our you know our people as as, as actual products with enablement and launches and marketing and campaigns and logos and things like that. So. Um, I'd love to hear you talk about your framework that you have for culture as as a product, because I think people could learn a lot from it.
1: Great. I love that. You're speaking my language when you say it that way. So I've actually not spent a lot of time building pro- like software products, but I've modeled the way that we think about it and the, the process by which we do it after that. So starting with the intentions, like, um, and this is very much, uh, we try to be rooted in human-centered design. So what are the outcomes? How do we want people to feel? What do we want people to benefit from? How do we want people to use it? What are are the outcomes that we're looking for? And really going through a process to get crystal clear so that it's not this amorphous thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then build and implement it. And like you said, this include, you know, depending on what it is, you may do like pilots of it, or you may do an, uh, like a V one of it, but you definitely think about marketing it and, um, Enabling around it and creating language and lore around it, right? So that there's a there's adoption and there's embracing of it, and then you like see what happens, right? Like, are people using it? Are people liking it? Um, I talk a lot about um, getting feedback, both quantitatively and qualitatively, and we look. this is where we engage deeply with Culture AMP to really look at the, um, the results. And, and when we launch something, we often say, What are the questions in Culture AMP that are going to tell us if this is working?
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so before we even launch it, we, I, we know which questions were either that exist on our regular surveys or that we're going to add. So that's like part of our process but that's not enough. I also want to, I want my team to go out into the wild and like observe and like watch how people, you know, talk to people, watch how they're using it, get get that qualitative feedback. And then uh, the next step is really going back to software, right? Like we find bugs, we find things that aren't working, we find unintended consequences. Sometimes those are little, sometimes those are large, but um and uh there's always many of them, right? Like then the first time around there's always many of them and then we prioritize and we say, well these are the most important bugs that we need to fix and in our iteration we we choose those and um and do that. Um and then We do it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And, you know, eventually the bugs might become so small where we're like, you know what, we're just gonna put this product in maintenance mode, that's okay. Um, But there's a couple important things around that. Um, The first is like, you need to have thirst or desire, like happiness around that iteration process. You know, you, you need to have, People that you're working with, both on the HR team and our partners in the business, employees that are excited about like and bought into that. Um, you also need to have some thick skin because putting yourself out there means that you're inviting yourself to get feedback. You're gonna like you're putting. you got to be okay with things not being great. And you yeah. like not only is that um, getting that feedback, it just makes you a better. Like it makes you better at your job. It makes the company stronger. It makes the culture stronger. And just having the fortitude of like you know, it's not like one and done. We're we're on a journey, especially at this growth rate.
0: It's so funny you said one and done because literally, uh, I was just thinking of my little like one liner one liner about that. I was like, yeah, like we are we are not. NBA, like, you know, prodigies, this is not a a one and done. This is, uh, no, we put it out there. Did it work? Did it not? And in in the same way, it's like there might be something that takes like 5% of a tweak to actually get it to 100% market penetration, right? So, like, if you can't log into a piece of software, you're not ever going to get adoption, <laughs> right? So, it's like, is there a login issue with our people products? Like, is there something that is so fundamental that's stopping anyone from getting benefit from these things that we need to focus on? As opposed to saying, did we call it the right name? Did we run enough <laughs> sessions about it? It's like, no, like, what is the thing that stops someone from even, like, getting into it in the first place? Yeah. I wanted to sort of touch on two last topics. We're going to do a okay. little bit of forward planning for 2022 to inspire anyone who's listening. But before we get there, something that's really, I'm really passionate about and that you're really passionate about is why words matter. Um, you know, I consider myself a storyteller. I consider myself part marketing, part HR and humans are pretty complex people. We understand things in different ways. Uh, and I really feel like communication and behavior change is so critical inside of companies. And I bring that up because I think a lot of what makes a company successful as it scales is knowing how to communicate what's changing to employees and why they need to change at exactly the right time. And to me, that's why words matter. And I know this is an important phrase to you. So why do words matter so much when it comes to your company culture?
1: It's a really interesting and difficult question. And I feel like there's a part of me that you're asking a fish how I breathe underwater, right? Like it's become so... Core to who we are to be intentional about language. Uh, so the first thing I, g- I guess I'll start with is that one of our um, one of our core values is mindfulness, hmm. and this does not mean that we you know we practice meditation together every day. In fact, we don't do that at all. What 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 it does mean is that we we are committed to being intentional. We are committed to outlining what are the top 10 objectives for the company this year and doing the work to articulate what are the ones that we are actually um, deliberately deprioritizing. And, it, and this goes to the if everything is important, nothing is important, right? Like that's deeply tied to being intentional. Um, another manifestation of that mindfulness and that intention is using the right language, you know, avoiding throwaway words. If I could give you five reasons why we're doing something, but there's really only one reason and the four others are actually just like B and C players, then let's just focus on that one reason. Like, let's really deeply understand that one reason. Some of the ways that this shows up is really at anything we do from which features we put into what tier of paid product, all the way to why are we choosing this benefit versus that benefit? And why do we interview candidates at all when some of the data shows that it's not – you know, everyone at Asana, to be successful, has to be able to articulate the why and the goal and, mm-hmm. and to feel comfortable that that question is going to come. Um, you know, and real success oh, – always it, it, it's funny, Damon, if I, if I forget when I make an announcement to, like, lead with, the, like, the three or four bullet points of the why – I don't have to worry because that's the first question I'll get and I'll just be able to add it. Right. Like, and it's, yeah. it's just a standard practice. Um, You know, and I you and I chatted offline a little bit about titles, and you said, Anna, I've seen your title be Chief People Officer, and I've also seen your title be head of people. And I'll share with you one of the things that we do internally at Asana is we actually try to avoid level connoting titles. So um, we don't have managers and senior managers and directors and senior directors. You know, you just like a manager, or you're a lead, or you're a head of. Um, externally, we might use more traditional titles because the whole world is not on the Asana boat with us. So sometimes it, like we need it for clarity. So you'll see yeah. externally my title is chief people officer. Um, but the reason that we don't use them internally it's very intentional because you know we believe that our innovation and our problem-solving comes from co-creation from different humans getting into a room or into Zoomlandia together to together to do the work and scrub in and, and co-create and it doesn't matter if you are seven levels ahead of me or above me um, I might be an expert in this one particular area it doesn't matter how junior or senior like let's create an environment where we can have a dialogue and we where we can value all the ideas and really listen to the ideas without putting a label and and like a discount on someone or a premium on someone based on their title and um it's a small thing like but language matters and it sends the message that I'm talking and you don't need to put me in this box that I'm more junior. I'm just a person. I'm just like a, a girl in the world. I'm just a human in the Zoomlandia participating.
0: Has that been in place since you started? Like was that something that was in place when you got there?
1: Yeah, it's been from the beginning of time.
0: Yeah, because I've heard Dustin talk about the sort of Asana, uh, like org chart as like him being at the bottom of a tree and like actually everyone like like he reports to everyone else and actually it's the person who's a leaf on top of the tree being one of the most important people you need to focus on because they're actually the ones who have the ability to go do the work every single day as an individual contributor so it's so it's so fascinating it's also one of the ways i've seen so many startups get hung up and caught up and stuck with like leveling comp benefits and titling and just like that becomes really messy and you can break a lot of trust with your employees if you get that wrong. So it's been really interesting to see that it's been in place for so long.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's worth noting. I also really care about pay equity we do have levels. They're just in the background, right? And yeah. employees know what their own levels are and they know what success, how success is defined for their role at their level. So that way, managers and employees can have a conversation about their impact or their lack of impact and what they need to do to grow. Um, and so that, that that conversation has richness given those frameworks. But that doesn't mean that I need to put a label on me to say, oh, I'm this and you're not this.
0: So as we wrap up here like I think there's a nice way to kind of bring this conversation to a close I've heard you say in another interview before that uh you know you didn't you didn't necessarily have a lot of people leaders that you were kind of looking up to in your early stage stages of your career. And then now that you're in a position where like, hopefully you can be that for someone else and people look up to you. And I really feel like uh, having you on the board of culture is only going to increase that. So we'll see if you can provide some sort of final words of wisdom for people. So
1: no pressure or anything. No
0: pressure. I know. No it's always to build up. I get you all excited and jittery <laughs> and butterfly. So here we go. So um I've described the year 2020 as the year of working through it. And I think 2021 was the year of the pivot on the pivot. We thought we'd pivoted and then we had to pivot again. So we're now heading in, you know, we're recording this in September of 2021. We're we're getting ready for 2022 planning. You know, what do you believe 2022 has in store for people leaders? What are you really hoping that the year can hold for the people function? So
1: first of all, I love your description of 2021. Um, and by love, I kind of mean hate. I, like, it's so <laughs> spot on. It's, it's really,
0: annoyingly right. Yeah.
1: It's annoyingly right. Um, so I'll, I'll give some positives and some negatives. So mm-hmm. I, I I actually do think some of these silver linings coming out of the pivot on the pivot, on the pandemic on the pandemic, um, have really, like, reinforced the importance that, business leaders, the, 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 the value and the attention that business leaders have placed on culture and people. I think that's going to be more durable, right? We're going to, I think that's going to, um, we're going to carry that forward. I also think that on a positive note, I think that this normalization societally of mental health is not going to go away. Thank God. Right? Um, There are police departments across the nation that are working with mental health experts to help them um, get more comfortable around talking around this, right? Mm -hmm. We've got... Prime ministers of lovely countries talking about, you know, addressing children directly uh, and around their, their, uh, their feelings. This is not, this is, um, and that's, like, like, that's just like a wonderful thing, right? Um, so I think those are two great things. I think that the, the thing that keeps me up the, the most at night, the scariest piece of it, is um, before we went into the pandemic before we went into shelter-in-place and all of us in Zoomlandia, the folks that had spent the most time thinking, researching, or practicing remote work all pretty much had the same thing to say. You got to choose one. You got to be in office mostly or you got to be remote. If Mm -hmm. If you care about building a durable culture, it is extremely hard to do some hybrid version of it. Then we all went remote on a dime, right? Like over the course of five days, everyone got stood up to be working at home, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And now there's a lot of people, there's a couple things that I've learned, right? Like, hey, there there are some benefits to this. There's some productivity gains. There's some like time gained from um, not commuting. And I think that there's People are making these assumptions in these shorthands of like, hey, we've shown ourselves that we can work at home. So now that that what follows is we can be successful in a hybrid world, right? We, this can work. Mm-hmm. And I, I would argue we don't actually have any evidence of that, right? And yeah. the Zoom... One hundred percent working from home is the great equalizer we 're all in this together. In fact, I would argue like there's some things about it that are different. like I can be in a meeting with ten people and I know I know just by their label what their name is or what their department is, or you know a lot of people put their pronouns there and so I get to be include like actively inclusive in that way um, mm-hmm. but that 's really different from the hybrid. Um, We are facing a great unknown in this area. It's a massive societal and knowledge worker experiment and it makes me cringe when I hear people talk about um, how confident they are. (laughs) In terms of how well this is going to work. And I'm really, you know, I'm not confident at all. I'm, I'm open. I'm curious. I'm scared. But one of the things that's going to be really hard in this, like sort of free for all you do, you, you pick your day. Um, Uh, work world is that inclusion is going to be a lot harder because, frankly, the research continues to show that women carry a larger proportion of the homework. Whether there are children involved or not, women carry a larger proportion of the homework. So they are going to be more likely to take advantage of that flexibility which means that they are going to be less often in the room where it happens. They are going to be less often on the walk from one meeting room to another. Oh, what do you think about that? Oh, that's a good idea. I hadn't thought about that. So they're going to be less there, which means they're going to be less thought of. They're going to be less promoted. They're going to have less opportunity. Um, And so I fear we might be setting ourselves back um, years unintentionally. That's 2022 for you.
0: I am glad that you did the pros and the cons, the things to be excited (laughs) about and the things to be scared about, because I think this podcast is baked in reality. It's baked in, you know, like I have been very transparent with listeners about like when I talk about these things, I always try to make myself an example of like, this is why I would find that hard or this is like something that I struggle with. And I think um anyone would be lucky to have a people leader who t- described it in that way saying that I don't know how this is going to play out. We are going to keep trying things. These are the things I'm worried about. But I think if you come back to what is important to your company, what is your operating system? What are your values? What are the decisions your even overstatements about like how you want to build your company and your culture? Hopefully that helps people leaders and any managers out there. Wrestle with some of these things about creating an inclusive culture and, and going back, you know, between hybrid versus remote versus in person. You know, I know, uh, Coltramp says about some of our offices open. I know you've had some of your offices open, but I know so many of us are still working remotely. Like we are going to have to be really intentional about this. We are going to have to more than ever invest in diversity, equity, and, and inclusion to make sure that we are looking at the data about how our decisions being made. Who's making the decisions? How is this impacting promotions? There's going to be so much. And I just hope that we focus on that conversation, not just on do we have an office or like where is it and all that kind of stuff, because that is material. It's actually how the work gets done and how that impacts the employees that I think we should be spending the most of the time focusing on.
1: It's going to be a wild ride.
0: Well... I know that uh, with intentional conscious leaders like you, that uh, plenty of people will be turning to you and others for inspiration in this. So I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and and wisdom with us on the Culture First podcast today. And on behalf, I'm sure on behalf of everyone at Culture Amp, I'd like to say a big congratulations. And we're so excited to have you on our board of directors.
1: I'm thrilled. Like I said, I feel like I hit the jackpot and I'm looking forward to all the co-creation for many years to come.
0: Exactly. This will be one of many conversations. So um, maybe we can do a sort of AMA with uh, Anna and Damon moving forward for all those, all those, all those curly questions that I'm sure people leaders uh, will be wanting to get answers on over the coming months. I'd love to. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks. A big thank you to Anna for joining me today on the Culture First podcast. I've been inspired by Anna's work at Asana for a long time, and it's been a pleasure to partner with her and the wider Asana team on this collective mission to put culture first and increase humanity at work. If you're a long-time listener of this podcast, you'll know that I personally operate at this intersection of HR and marketing, and I personally believe this overlap is so important. Hearing Anna talk about how they brand their initiatives and concepts like words matter, all of this is music to my ears. I really hope that you learned a lot from how Anna has scaled the employee experience at Asana and are both inspired as well as, I guess, have some provoking thoughts about what she thinks we're going to be seeing from the people function over the coming months and years. I know you'll be seeing plenty more from both Anna and CultureAmp over the coming months and years with this new partnership. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you subscribed, wrote a review and shared this episode with a peer in your network. This has been another episode of the Culture First podcast. I've been your host, Damon Klotz, and this series is brought to you by the entire team here at CultureAmp. Thanks for listening.